Thank you so much for coming on, man. I am a fan of your work. I find it quite interesting. Um, I've one of the things that I really find fascinating about what you've done is you've taken what most people probably wouldn't call a viable career, you know, and it's just an idea that you were you were playing with, and it turned into this humongous thing where you have I don't know how many best-selling books and how your, your statistics are ridiculous as far as right. how many people are into what you're doing. And uh, it came from a background of you were in law school. Apparently, you got fired from your law firm. Apparently, you got fired from Max's Grill, which you are Max. That's just ridiculous. You know, it's like I I, I assume at that point, you were probably pretty bummed out, you know, and maybe possibly down on yourself. I don't know. Um, You know, and what you ended up doing instead of curling up and, and dying or like smoking crack 
you came up with a, a rad idea and you went with it and you stuck with it and became a really big deal. You know, so I think that's really inspirational to the world. You know, and so I'm curious, I know you probably told this story maybe a thousand fifty times or so, but uh, if you could kind of give us like a sense of what that journey was like. You know, and kind of just like, what was, did you, did you feel like giving up? Did you think this is a bunch of bull crap? Nobody gives a dang, you know, like how did you come through that to make that work? Um, yeah, you know, like I, I get this question a lot. I, I think, um, people, uh, uh, how do I, uh, I think a lot of people are looking for like sort of the magic bullet sort of answer, not just in this, but in, all, in a lot of things in life. It's sort of like, Oh, tell me that one thing I can do, uh, and not change my life that will change my life. And of course it's not the way it works. Right. The, the real answer, honestly, man, is just that every single day I got up and I, um, took as many steps as I could that day towards my goal. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again. Uh, And there were a lot of mistakes and a lot of fits and starts and a lot of wasted energy in different paths. But um, I think the reality is most people just, I don't want to say most people could do great things, but they quit. Um, But the reality is most people can do a lot more with their life than they do. And I think they they either never start or they start and they quit very quickly. Uh, That, in a lot of ways, I think that might be the major thing that separated me from most people, you know? And was there a point that you were like, screw it, I'm quitting, this is is ridiculous? And uh, if there was, how'd you come through that? And uh, how long did it take to actually start developing traction from, you know, the day of conception of like, I'm actually going to push this thing. There was never a point where I thought about uh, multiple points. I thought about quitting sort of, but not, not the way you're thinking of. Um, It's sort of like, because to me, I, I had a very weird path. Okay. So most people's paths are not like mine. By the time I started down my path to where I am, I had, I was already on death ground. Like I burned every bridge and I lost every opportunity. So I sort of didn't have a choice, right? It's easy to go forward when you don't have a choice. Sort of like, you know, why the famous sort of example is, uh, that's why Julius Caesar burned the bridges behind his army after they crossed the Rubicon and marched on Rome is so that his soldiers knew there was no going back. Uh, and, and and I was sort of at that stage. Most people aren't at that stage, right? Most people have multiple options. And so what they do is they take the safe option. Right, um, and the safe option is never, ever, ever going to be the option that gets what you get you what you want. It's never going to be the option that gets you sort of lots of rewards or whatever because you have to take risks to do that. Right, uh, and I think that, and I'm not recommending you burn the bridges and and march on a city, uh, even metaphorically. But that's why sort of my story is not instructive for a lot of people. Right, uh, I think, but because the reality is, I was, it, it it's just here's the thing. Most people wake up every day and they, they have to decide, do I stop living this easy, comfortable, but totally unfulfilling life and go risk sort of not even risk it all, but it feel even small risks feel like risking it all to most people. Do I, um, take risks and upset this apple cart or not? And that's why most people don't ever do anything is because even if they think they want to do that, but they, they want it really, they want to be the person, the type of person that does that. They don't want to actually have to do it. They just want it already done. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, in a weird way, I was lucky that I was such a dumbass and that I screwed so much stuff up in my life because it forced me, it put me in a position where the risks were no longer risks. They were the only path forward. Right. And so like, um, that that's that's the real honest answer. It's sort of it, it, we're talking about stuff sort of emotionally and how you deal with that stuff uh, is that I didn't have an option, so it was easy for me to go forward. Yeah, you know, and I think it's really important you know, have that perspective of just go forward. You know, the compound effect. I think Darren Hardy wrote that book. You know, it's like there's little individual steps that we make. They start to add up and they start to make create compound interest. You know, and it starts to eventually create this dramatic swing. You know, where we're, we we've gained momentum, you know, but it's being willing to actually make it through and push the stupid rock up the stupid hill, you know, and then eventually if you stick with it, you will get to the top of the hill. You know, it's really, it's really, it depends. It depends. Not everyone will. Unless it's it's the wrong hill. Well, right. I mean, that's the thing is that like, I, I, I feel like there's two sides of, of this sort of motivational coach world. There's the people who are like, rah, rah, everything's great. Just keep going. You'll never, if you don't quit, you'll, you'll reach, you know, uh, Nirvana. And then there's, there's the other people who are like, uh, sort of process oriented and, and, um, and they're, they're sort of like, um, you know, the rah, rah people are wrong. Uh, here's the right way to do it, you know, and it's basically like sort of hold on to the rock or hold on to the side of the pool to learn to swim, right? right? And I've always felt like the real answer is sort of in between, um, that the real answer is, is just neither side, but I, I don't know, dude, like I, I, this is not, that's not really, you know, the other thing too, man, it always makes me laugh is like, um, I don't know. This might be way beyond the scope of this podcast, but I was thinking about this earlier today is I feel like, uh, what, what, what we do, uh, is that we look at people who succeed and then we make up stories for why they succeeded. Um, and I'm not saying it's all luck by any stretch, but I'm saying that like, um, the vast majority of people who succeeded were some very unusual combination of traits and, uh, and uh, events and whatever. And that if you try and figure out the precise checklist based on looking at other people, you're never going to move forward, right? You're only looking backwards. And that, and I also feel like a lot of people sort of, here's my view of the world. My view of the world is that people are this and people are this and people are this. So every story of success I see, I'm going to view through that lens. Right. And I think most of that is quite honestly bullshit. You know, I mean, like for every stupid anecdote you see about Steve Jobs and you see about Mark Zuckerberg and you see about whoever, no one talks about the people that did exactly what they did or something very similar and didn't work. Right. Why are there no anecdotes about Tom from MySpace? Because MySpace didn't work. Right. Right. And, And that's plain and simple. Like, that's the reason why. And so much of this is due to so many factors that I think are beyond what people actually look at or think about. Man, like quite honestly, dude, if you have an audience of people who are trying to get from from to from nothing to something, there is no substitute or uh, or way around direct action. Sure, 100%. repeated direct action that actually, and then course correction, course corrections along the way to help you get to some sort of result you're looking for. I like, I don't know anything else is going to be like, 
I don't know. It all seems like a bunch of nonsense to me. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, knowledge, knowledge isn't really power, you know, knowledge isn't power until you activate upon it, you know? So without that activation, you just got a bunch of facts in your head floating around, you know, it's like you need to actually put in the work, do something, you know, if your thing is blogging or creating information or creating videos or whatever it is, it's very easy to feel like, ah, no one gives a dang about me. It's like, no one gave a dang about you X amount of years ago. No one gave a dang about Steve Jobs X amount of years ago. It's the, it's the willingness to just start, you know, and it's not always going to work hundred percent. Okay. But yeah, but you're talking about two different things, dude. No. <laughs> what? Do you know what? No one, no one gave a crap about me, whatever, 15 years ago. And the reason they do now is because I wrote things that were entertaining. And, and, and the reason people care about Steve Jobs is because he created one of the uh, most successful companies of all time. Right. The reason anyone cares is because you do things that provide value to them. That's how you become successful in the world. Right. That's, I think that actually is that you actually hit on a very important point, point indirectly. Uh, if you want to know the one thing that threads together all successful people, um, is that they created things that were valuable to the world. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it's it. that simple. Totally. Yeah. You know, and along with that, sometimes that value that you're creating, it might not be the right timing for it. You know, maybe in six months. Then it's not valuable. Right. Right. Totally. Exactly. Well, I, no, seriously, it's sort of like if I say the stock market's going down 20%, I'm going to be right at some point. At some point in the next 10 years, market's going down 20% in three months. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, am I right? Or does the timing make all the difference in the world? Oh, yeah. Right. You don't create value. It, it not being the right time is just as wrong as it's being. It's the wrong idea. Right. And so with that, I think that people really do resonate with honesty. You know, people can sniff out bullshit pretty quick. You know, and so I think that the reason people resonated with what you were putting out is it was honest. You know, you, it didn't seem like you were trying to impress anybody. These are just your stories, you know, right. and, it's, and, and what people were able to connect with was, oh, yeah, I did have those crazy nights in high school or college or whatever. Oh, yeah, like, it's like no one writes about that. People, people love to feel connected. People love to feel part of a group. You know, so when you read a book and it's like, oh, yeah, that represents me, you will speak to the masses. Do you agree with that or you disagree yeah, with that? of course. No, that's all, all, all great art is about connecting with other, understanding yourself and connecting with other people. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so I'm curious, you were studying, were you studying psychoanalysis? Was it, are you going to, going to school for that? No, I, 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 no, I didn't go to school for it. No, 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 no. I, I like, uh, so after I finished writing, I went into therapy and the, the therapeutic modality I used was psychoanalysis, but I didn't, I like, I didn't go to school for it. Okay. I went to an analyst. Okay. And I'm curious, did you find you know, a big part with, with psychoanalysis is, is, uh, I mean, I don't know about it as much as you do, I'm sure, but, uh, is like, how did your childhood impact your development as a person? Um, yeah, sort of. It, 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 it is to some extent, it's much more about, um, it's, it's not about childhood specifically. It's more about what, what are the things that have happened to you in your life that are still directly or indirectly impacting the way that you 
relate to other people. So for most people, that's childhood, but for a lot of people, it's not. For some people, it's high school. For some people, it's, you know, other relationships they've had, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, you know, so it's like kids, and for people that don't know, don't know who you are, you know, you were kind of like... Uh, during that time, I guess like king of the bros or, you know, it's like you, you were living the optimal experience of what what, what young guys would really like to see happen in college. You know, they want to, they want to get drunk. They want to have sex with a lot of different things. They want to do ridiculous things, have ridiculous stories and they want to be able to tell, you know, their grandkids about it or maybe not, you know? And so you, you really, you know, you capitalized on that and you wrote about it and people dug it. You know, so I'm curious from your perspective, I know that some of the flack that I'm sure you get is that you are, you know, encouraging kids to, you know, make these stories and get drunk and be reckless and all that. I know that you're not doing that at all, but just by putting the book out there, I'm sure there's people that are aligning with that. Do you feel... I've actually never heard anyone say that. Really? You never heard that before? Never once. Okay, I heard I was listening to an interview and somebody was was chatting with you about it of like how it's potentially not that you're encouraging it, but by reading that it kind of like what ro- interview was that? I don't even remember. I don't, I don't remember which one it was. But ro- I don't ro- romantic romanticizing getting drunk essentially. You know, it's like by no means are you in the book saying like you got to do this. You're just telling your stories. But it's the same right. thing like violence in movies, violence in video games, whatever. We see the stuff and then we're like, oh, sweet. Like, you know, which I don't think that's accurate at all. You do whatever you want to do. It doesn't need what you said is you didn't need Tucker Max to induce you to do the stuff that you did. Right. And so it's like people don't need Tucker Max. We don't need whatever to, to Dude, all I did was write down stories about the same shit that everyone does. Sure. What is that? I'm curious your perspective on, you know, kids drinking, kids, you know, using drugs or whatever, which I think it's drugs is not the best word because some, you know, some drugs are worse than others, obviously. But the impact of that, and like, why do we do it in the first place? Like, what's the point of getting drunk in school? So, well, hold on. You're talking about binge drinking with college kids or you're talking about drinking, period? Because those are two totally different things. Binge drinking with college kids. Okay. All right. So that, that's a totally different issue than just drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, we have, um, I think, still a very uh, sort of a repressive, puritanical society. And whenever you tell a person they can't do something, it makes them want to do it more. Sure. That's a natural biological response, actually. Um, we have a drinking age that's preposterous. It's 21. Right. Um, well, you know, you can go die for your country, but you can't have a beer on your way home. Um, which is uh, nonsense. Like uh, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. So you have kids who aren't allowed to drink and set free in an environment where half the kids can drink and the other half can't. You're going to get a lot of underage binge drinking. Uh, I think we don't do as a society, we do a terrible job teaching people, men and women, how to socialize and develop relationships. And so alcohol is a good numbing effect and and a good agent to help people get over their fears and anxieties. Uh, I think we especially do a terrible job teaching men how to deal with women. And so alcohol helps guys sort of get over their fear and anxieties in that regard. Um, I think uh, we do a terrible job teaching people how to have relations, just friendships and relationships. And so this creates all sorts of neuroses. Um, and people that alcohol helps solve. I mean, you go down the list of reasons uh, why our, our, we have one of the rich, we have the richest, probably the most technologically advanced society the world's ever known. And socially, I think we are, um, 
ah, uh, man, not the worst ever, definitely, but really fucking bad. <laughs> like, we don't, like, as humans, we're designed, we, humans can't exist in isolation. Uh, like, I mean, l- literally, our brains, uh, you raise a human in a closet without talking to other people, it, it's a dog, it's an animal, right? It, it right. Does, it's not a human. It doesn't, its frontal lobes don't develop. It's quite literally not a human. Sure. And um, we do a terrible job as a society, uh, both... Um, uh, creating the structures that allow people to understand how to relate properly to each other totally. and that, um, and that, uh, foster those sorts of relationships. And it starts with a family. I hate to sound like a, a Christian fundamentalist. I don't mean it in that regard, but, but really proper socialization begins with a family and then extends to the immediate social group and then goes out from there. And our culture does a uh, Western culture, especially American Western culture does a really, really bad job emphasizing proper social, uh, healthy, social relationships for people. Yeah, man. You know, and that's, I'm reading a book called uh, Raising Cain. I don't know if you heard about that. It's, it's a playoff mm-hmm. of like Cain and Abel. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that it gets into of, of many things that it gets into is how the development of little boys. You know, we're not taught to express our emotions. Like we're not taught, a, we don't develop an emotional vocabulary because you're a pussy if you have one, you know? So it's like we end up being deprived of this ability to express ourselves, I think like, you know, we have a feminine aspect of ourselves, you know, and, and women end up, or little girls get all of that emotional energy and men, it's like, you just got to buck up. And I think oftentimes what we end up doing is we end up just pushing all of this stuff down. And then eventually, you know, we either pop and do something we regret, or we discover alcohol or some kind of escape where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm letting go of my inhibitions. I'm able to be free. I'm able to be myself when I'm in this state. Right. You know? No, there's, there's a growing body of evidence and, and group of researchers who think that addiction, that the disease model of addiction is wrong, that addiction is actually a problem of human connection and not a problem, not a disease. I, I am not an expert one way or the other, but, um, uh, human connection, they mean relationships. And uh, it sounds very compelling to me. Well, I was actually on Rich Roll's podcast a few weeks ago and, we, and I talked about this and he and I actually got into a big argument over this because, you know, he's, he has addiction issues and like, he's a big believer in the disease model of addiction. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I, I don't know, I, I really don't know enough to say one way or the other, but it seems to me that like um, every addict I've ever known and every addict I've ever seen had some sort of kind of what you just described, some sort of serious emotional pain yeah. that they could not deal with or did not want to deal with. And they had to find a way to get away from that pain. Sure. And that's what they use, whatever they were addicted to gambling, drugs, sex, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know? Yeah. If you get a chance to look at uh, Gabor Mate's work on this is super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, just throwing that out there to anybody. Um, yeah, so I, from my experience with that, you know, it's, it's like you're saying, it's like a void filler, you know, and I do this with food, you know, where I'll eat like way too much almond butter and apples and bananas, you know, and I'm like, I get to the point where it's like, dude, you're not hungry anymore. Like you're making yourself uh-huh. worse at life right now. Your digestive it's an emotional sound. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if yeah. I had someone to, you know, cuddle with, I probably wouldn't be doing this, you know, but it's like you had to just keep on feeding and chomp, 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 chomp. I'm not thinking about how lonely I am or whatever the, the void is 
when I'm chomping. That chomp could be anything. You know, it's just like a lot of people, we end up martyring ourselves with food. You know, I ate this much spirulina today. It's like, you didn't need that much. You know, like your emotional realm is what's lacking. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think most people are like that. And I don't mean that critically. I know I was like that in a lot of ways uh, until I finally realized that and so and made uh, changes to fix it. And I think no one wants to talk about it because... Right. Everyone feels ashamed about it, and no one's really talking about it. So it's sort of like one of those things where everyone's stuck in this cycle um, of loneliness and sadness and using something, trying to find an external way to fill the hole. You can't fill it externally. You have to fill it externally, meaning like with things. You have to fill it with relationships, and you you have to fill it with um, relationships with others and then relationships with, you know, the way you relate to yourself, both, but mainly with others. Like, that's... that's, uh, like there was a big movement uh, for a lot of years in sort of the the uh, non empirically based self help, which was all about you can just love yourself out of uh, sort of whatever problems you have. In fact, a good friend of mine wrote a book uh, that basically was about that, and and I, I love this guy to death. And I, but he and I have arguments about this all the time. I'm like, dude, you can't just love yourself out of problems. Like loving yourself is an important part of the three pronged stool. Right. You know how you deal with yourself relationships you have with other people that you love and love you back and then the work you do uh, for the world. Those are the three things that uh, that define identity and that help you sort of create who you are and how you feel about yourself. And um, uh, relationships with other people are so fucking important. But like, it's one of those things where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, of course I get it. And then like, you're like, oh, okay. So, and then you do an actual inventory and most people like they have, they think they have a lot of friends or whatever, but it's like, dude, you know, a thousand Facebook friends are not friends, right. <laughs> you know, like, or, or like that girl you drink mimosas with every Saturday, like she's not your friend. That's just someone you, you go share an affliction with. Right. You know, you know? And it's a similar concept with, with stress and anxiety and all these different things that people are going through. We live in, in inherently stressful environments and it's a form of weakness to talk about how stressed you are, you know, and that gets back into the Raising Cane story. And now as well today with like feminist women, there's another good book called Moody Bitches. It's kind of interesting. It kind of gets into this a little bit, you know, where it's like, we're all expected to be so tough and strong and stable and supportive, you know, and we end up putting this facade, you know, that's like, if you don't be a pussy, don't puss out, you know, it's like, if you're a pussy, you will be judged, you know, and it's like, you know, and, and pussy, that's a very resilient genitalia. We should change that word up in the first place. But, you know, it's like, Babies come out of those. Oh, yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about it. You know, testicles are much more embarrassing. You know, so we, what we end up doing is we end up being embarrassed to talk about our emotions, you know, and that's a serious, serious issue. You know, that's, I think that your podcast is, is really cool because people ask really, you know, vulnerable questions and you guys work with it. Yeah, you're talking about right the mating grounds podcast. We especially yeah. the the um, the the segment we have called Helping Joe, where we have that guy who comes back every week. We're on episode 19 or 20 now. Yeah. So four or five months, this dude. Uh, comes back every week with his issues and talks about his issues. Right. And like, I mean, it's everything from like 
uh, feeling ashamed for masturbating too much, to erectile dysfunction, to like not calling girls back, uh, like what are all these thousands of things uh, that he has. And, and we talk about it in a very open, direct way. And it's like every day we get emails from guys who are like, like, oh my God, thank you so much. This is amazing. And it's like, part of me is like, oh, it's so great. I'm so happy we're helping other people. And the other part is how the fuck is no one else talking about this? Yeah. This is shit that every guy goes through. Sure. And all we did was address it directly and honestly and sympathetically and non-judgmentally. That's it. Right. Like that's it. That it feels like it can't be this simple, but I mean, that's how bad it is for, especially for young guys in our society. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the same concept that I help. So you can like see, or like in my office here, you know, and so I help people with, with movement, you know, people that are in pain, I help them get out of pain. I help them teach themselves how to get out of pain so they can keep on working with themselves, right. you know? And so, so that is the key that you cannot be dependent on other people to fix your shit. You know, it's like you need to take the wheel of your own ship and get after it. You know, we, we're so dependent on like, you know, it's like you probably read the book, The Game, I'm sure, Neil Strauss and all that. I know Neil real well, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I, th- I think it's a great book, but you, you, we, we end up having like, we feel like we need to have like this You trick. should read the follow-up that's coming out in October. If you think the game is good, wait till you read the follow-up. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. You know, and yeah. so I think... What, it's good. You should get Neil, he'll do it. You should get Neil on your podcast because he basically says everything in the game that he talked about or he realized was bullshit and that he like he went all the way around and came back to a totally different place nice. through his book. Seriously. It, it's awesome. Uh, it's really fucking good. I'm really excited. Our book comes out September 15th and his is like a month after and they're totally different sides of the same sort of issue for guys. He talks about the stuff from a very personal, emotional uh, side. We talk uh, more from a functional, like how do you do it side. But yeah, it's, um, I think we're about to see a massive shift in our society in in who is talking about these things, how much and where. Right. And I think guys are going to start talking about a lot of these things, uh, which is going to be great for men and women, actually. Oh, yeah. You know, and we have all these all these scary taboo subjects. It's like talking about sex, saying the word sex makes people uncomfortable. You know, I was just talking to sex expert Sherry Winston the other day. You know, that I was at the bank. I was like, I just talked to sex expert Sherry Winston. People were like, shut up. You know? Like, set up, don't say sex in here. And it's just like, what the freak is this? Like, you realize if it weren't for sex, you wouldn't be here right now. Like, how is that possibly a taboo subject to talk about? You know, and that is the reason, that is the core root of us having these issues. You know, it's like, it's natural to feel sexually attracted to somebody. When you're told that's wrong, then you then impose that upon yourself. And now you are wrong because you, you feel, ashamed to, you feel ashamed of a normal emotion, right? Such, yeah. such BS, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and then what ends up happening is that compounds, you know, and so we live in these digital realities, like you're saying, with the Facebook. You know, I have 8 million Facebook friends. It's like nobody cares, man. Those people do not care about you. Those people do not love you. You know, you don't have a connection with those people. And what that ends up doing is it's a very slippery slope where you become dependent upon those dopamine releases. You know, you're dependent upon that stimulus that you get every time you get a new email or a tweet. And then you become paralyzed in your freaking iPod. 
You know, so I'm curious from Instead your... Instead of having actual relationships with the real humans. Yeah, right? man. You know, and that's that's the basis. That's the health. That's that's where, you know, that's the earth. That's the water. That's like with exercise, we pay, we buy these packages and these pills. They're bullcrap, man. Some of them are helpful, you know, but you can get anything you get out of a pill. I guarantee you can get out of a sprig of kale and some spring water. You know, it's just like you should just... By eating natural food, by having natural relationships, you become a healthy person. Get the sun. You know, you don't need to buy sun in a pill. Right. You know, so I'm curious from your perspective, uh, these people that are becoming these mutated kind of nerdy, you know, pale, you know, like they're not they're scared now to go outside because they've been mutated by these these gizmos that we're dependent upon. You know, the person that's in that pattern, that habituation of being alone. How do they start, man? You know, like, where do you get started if you're so insecure, if, if you get so much anxiety about it? Like, where do you begin? Right. Uh, so we actually go through this on our podcast with guys because we have a lot of guys. A lot of guys, you know, they call in with problems or they, they have issues. And what we realize is not they don't have issues with women. They have issues with themselves or with their basic social relationships, right? Yeah. And so much of our podcast is, is, is basic self-help. Like you need to sleep eight hours a night, you know? Right. You need to do push-ups. You need to have friends, like <laughs> things like that. Um, uh so uh, the best place to start if you're a guy, uh, I guess this would, this would work for women too. But uh, if you're a guy and you don't, um, you you feel very socially isolated and you don't want to be, yes. pick um, like write down the ten things you love to do like most. 10 activities. I don't give a shit what they are. Video games, anything. Nice. 10 actually, maybe make it 15 or 20 if you're a loner because probably most of the things you write down are going to be things you do alone. But of the 20 things that you like doing the most in the world, which of those can you do in a group? Right. right? So if like if you like exercising, uh, you can exercise in a group. You can do CrossFit or whatever, a million things in a group, right? If you like um, uh, uh, I don't know, you like uh, making jokes and being funny, you can do improv in a group. There's a million things. Most things you can do in groups. Right. Then what I want you to do is then go, you like dogs, you can help dogs in a group, right? right. So like, uh, meaning like you can go join like an animal, you can volunteer in an animal shelter or some sort of animal cruelty sort of uh, uh, charity or something, right? right? And so then go join the groups that do those things you like doing and become part of that group, right? Uh, even if you are very socially isolated and have very poor social skills, if you make an effort, you can learn social skills pretty quickly and easily by doing finding people who have the same interests as you and then joining, like identifying with them based on those interests. That's basic normal socialization. It starts there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big thing when you're you know, attracting a mate, what mates are looking for is that you can handle your shit. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that you have your stuff put together enough that you can enjoy being in your own skin. You know, life isn't taxing. It's not like a burden for you to wake up each day. You, you love whatever you do. If you collect cockroaches, you're the best freaking cockroach collector in the world. You're probably not going to get too many girls with that, you know, but no, but there are girls who are into insects. There, right. there aren't many, and they're kind of weird, but they exist. And if you're into them too, you're probably weird as well. Right. Join and it. so you two will like each other. Exactly. Right. You know, join an etymology group or whatever meetups. You know, but that's yeah. that's the thing. It's like we just need to find that thing. It's like, yeah, you're really good at volleyball, whatever it is. Like, go play volleyball. Find those social interactions and be good at your thing. And everyone, you're spending time doing something. You know, it's like invest in yourself. Get good at whatever it is that you're doing with yourself. If it's thinking, intellect, whatever. 
and go out there and express it. And I think that is the thing was we end up getting caught up in like going to bars and all these like social stereotypes that we think um, that we should. Bars that. are a terrible place for most guys. Oh, they're, they're crap. You yeah, know, they're really bad. And it's not for the reasons that most people say. Most people don't understand why bars are bad. Like, and I say this as someone who's amazing in bars. Like, I, I'm really fucking good at those situations. And they're really bad for most guys. Because if you, like, listen, a, a guy's deepest unconscious fear is that a woman's going to laugh at him or sexually humiliate him. And a woman's deepest unconscious fear is that a man is going to fucking kill her or hurt her, or rape her, or do something, like some random man, right? right? So at a bar, what do you have? You have a dark, loud environment where uh, women reject men, and men look like threats to physical threats to women. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't know if you could design a worse situation for guys right. and women to meet than bars. With the, the exceptions are people who are highly extroverted, sociopaths, and people who drink a lot, right. those are the three people who do well in bars, right? And I was extroverted and drank a lot. So it was like I had two of the three covered. Like you don't want to know. Bars are terrible, terrible places for most guys. And they also emphasize um, physical appearance and quick-witted humor over all other sort of traits, right. which if you're really quick-witted or really fucking hot as a dude, you're going to do well in bars. Right. If you're not then what the fuck are you doing there? I mean, there, you can be an amazing dude and not be able to deal with, uh, pick up women in bars. Like, sure. that's not a bad sign. Some of, the, some of the guys I know who are the most attractive to women don't do well in bars. Right. Like, that's a t the idea that you should meet people in bars is an awful trope, and men should totally reject it. If you want to go to a bar, go to a bar. It's fine. Right. And if you meet a girl, that's great. But that should be like... 5% or less of your strategy, unless you're one of the three things I, I told you. Right, yeah. And I think it's really important to be willing to put yourself out there. You know, it's like I end up getting shut down by people on a fairly regular basis, you know, because I'll, I'll put myself out there. It's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's all right to fail. You know, it's like in, in rock climbing, you're scared to death of rock climbing until you take a couple big falls, you know, and then it becomes kind of normal. It's not a big deal anymore, and you can actually focus and be yourself. Yeah, that's actually not very good advice. Oh, hit me. Uh, hit me. No, no, it's not. Uh, because I'll tell you why. Because a lot, uh, what you're talking about are two totally different things. All right. Um, uh, you're, you're talking about um, basically what's called flooding, and there's a couple other names for it, where, you, where uh, uh, the, the idiot pickup artists teach this stuff, that you just have to go approach a bunch of girls, and then you get shot down, and you get over that. That's actually wrong. It's total bullshit. The vast majority of guys, not the vast majority, but huge numbers of guys are overwhelmingly anxious about approaching women. And in fact, should be. It's a very natural biological response to be anxious. A strange man approaching a woman you don't know mm -hmm. is a very natural, that, that is an anxiety-inducing uh, sort of response. And then also, being rejected by a lot of women does not, is not cost-free. Like, that will greatly impact your self-esteem, as it should. If you approach 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 women and they all tell you no, and chances are they're going to say no if you are a random guy walking up to them somewhere that they don't know and you're not used to doing this, you're going to be bad at it and you're going to get rejected. And if you think that's cost-free, then I don't – like. People who think that's cost-free are either sociopaths to whom it is cost-free or they have no concept of how human self-esteem actually works. It's really, really, really bad advice to tell a guy, just walk up to a bunch of girls and talk to them. 
if you want to if you want to learn how to get over anxiety, what you want to do is you want to start very small with the smallest sort of next step possible. So if you're a guy stuck in your house and you're socially isolated and you're really bad, it, the thought of talking to a woman makes you anxious, which is actually a lot of guys. Then the best thing you can do is what's what's the next thing you can do that 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 is a little bit frightening but not too much. So like maybe uh, I don't know, talking to grandma, your grandmother or something, right? Okay. Talking to grandma's not a problem. So why don't you talk to grandma's friends? Sounds ridiculous, right? Because it's like, they're old ladies, who cares? Exactly. If you can talk to your grandma's friends, fine. Then then it's really easy to go to a store and talk to female clerks and cashiers in a normal way, right? And once you get used to that, then it's going to be much easier for you to go into new social groups where you have something in common with women, like you go to CrossFit, then you're both at CrossFit, you automatically have something to talk about because you're in the same group. CrossFit. If nothing else, you could, what you can always talk about the weather with everybody, and then you can always talk about CrossFit, right? Sure. So you've got those two things. Now you get good at talking to women in social groups that you're a part of. Most guys don't need to go any further beyond that if you're just looking for mates or whatever. If you want to get good at talking to women you don't know, there are ways to do that. And then I think you can start doing what you said. You obviously are a pretty high-energy, outgoing guy. Uh, so like, what's going to work for you is not necessarily what most guys should be doing. I actually had to learn this. I used to say the same thing you did. I'd be like, oh, why don't you just go talk to that girl? How hard could it be? What's she going to do? She's just going to say no. Who cares, right? Well, for guys like you and me, that's not really a big deal. It's fine for us. For most guys, that's so fucking paralyzing and petrifying that it cripples them and makes them not want to talk to anyone, right? So you, most guys can get to the, a level where they're socially comfortable and still never get comfortable with approaching random women for no reason. Uh, and that's okay. You don't ever have to get to that point to be good with women. Sure. And I respect you're completely disagreeing with me. Um, but that being said... Um, you know, I think the worst thing that can happen to anybody is nothing at all. You know, so the worst thing that can happen to me personally, and this is my personal experience, this doesn't need to relate to anybody, you know, probably will relate to a lot of people though, you know, is if I see a girl or see a thing, an opportunity, whatever it is, and I do not go, I hate myself, man. That whole, the rest of the day is screwed. I'm, I'm just like, I'm a dark, you know, the echo you, of what you are an unusual dude. No, seriously. Sure. No, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm a similar way. We are in the minority. All right. Well, and, and so and so then I'm speaking to the minority then. You know, and then for the for the for the masses, listen to what you're saying. <laughs> well, no, it, it's sort of like uh, you know what the best advice is. Listen to yourself. Sure. If you are desperately anxious at the thought, or you see a girl and the thought of going up and talking to her, don't fucking go talk to her. It's normal to be anxious in that regard. If, on the other hand, it's worse for you to not talk to her, then go talk to her. Right. It's pretty simple. Right. Like there's there's not a hard and fast rule here. Yeah. If you like it and you're good at it, go do it. If you don't like it, don't do it. So my thought with that, though, is I think oftentimes the person that you're scared to talk to, they very well may be scared to talk to you as well. You know, and so as long right, as but men and women are scared for different reasons, dude. Seriously, women are physically. I don't think you understand this. I, most guys don't understand. This. <laughs> I'm, no, sure, I'm sure I don't. Don't understand that a woman's primary fear of God. Women are petrified on an unconscious and usually conscious level about of men they don't know. Mm-hmm. Men, men, a man you don't know to a woman represents a physical danger. 
Sure. A woman you don't know does not represent a physical danger to you. She might represent an emotional danger, but she is she that woman is not going to beat you up. Like the thought doesn't even cross, especially you. You're like a tall, strong, uh, in shape guy. I guarantee that thought has never crossed your mind. It never crosses mine either, right? But women have grown up dealing, looking at men as threats. And you got to talk to women to understand this. This is something I didn't understand for a lot of years either. And then once I got that, I was like, oh my God, my entire world changed. And then I, I, I approached women. Now, I didn't bring it up. It's not like I go up like, hey, Tucker, I promise I'm not going to hit you or kill you. Like, we'll <laughs> kill you. Like that. Girls you, love when you say you kill. You can't talk about that because it sounds <laughs> weird to talk about. All you can do is show women you're not a threat, right? And, and that's with... Uh, that's with, uh, being very socially intelligent, uh, is a, is the best way to do it. So that means like you understand how to approach a girl, what subjects to talk about, what's socially normal, what's not normal, how to, how to stand near her, how to hold your body when you're approaching her, things like that. Yeah. Uh, very, very important, especially the first, 15 seconds to 10 minutes, really the first minute, kind of 80% of it's determined and then the rest is determined about the next 10 minutes. Um, uh, uh, but like men don't, first physical threat, then women are worried about a social threat, right? So if she has friends around at all, uh, she's not thinking about you. She's thinking about what her friends are going to think that she's talking to you. Right. Uh, and then the third thing she's worried about threat wise, and this is th- these occur in stages. Uh, emotional threat is third. It, is this guy going to use me or shame me or hurt me in some way emotionally, not physically? Right. Mm-hmm. So once she knows you're not a physical threat, then she has to know you're not a, a social threat, meaning you're not too low status uh, or you're not going to tell everyone if you hook up, whatever. And then emotional is third. Is he going to make me feel like shit about myself? Once she knows you're not a threat on either of those three things, then from there it's like pretty easy yeah you know then it's just a matter of attraction yeah you know i totally agree with it we form opinions about people in a very very short amount of time you probably determine whether you like me or hate me you know pretty quick you know it's like it's just that's the way that we operate it's absolutely true in fact most of attraction is determined before you ever talk to a girl guys always ask like uh right what do i say to a girl and i'm like well that doesn't really matter right (laughs) no seriously what you say is um, very rarely determinative of whether of a girl's opinion of you. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is we we become very dependent upon our words. We become very dependent. It's like the neofrontal cortex. You know, it's like our brains are able to process something like eleven million bits of information per second unconsciously. Consciously, mm-hmm. we get four hundred bits of information per second. Right? This is a statistic I heard from Nick Morgan, who's like a body expert or a body language expert, and uh, been on the show. Great conversation. Yeah. And you know, and and that's the thing that we we need to recognize is when you walk into that room, it's already started. You're already, you're already flirting, even if you don't realize it yet. The, that the process, right. The process goes like this. So the first thing a woman looks at uh, when she sees you, she sees shape, right? Or sorry, size. Size is first because we, we process sort of visual cues on a, like a deep reptilian primal level, right? And so size is a proxy for force, for a threat. Then it's shape, human, dog, elephant, whatever, right? Size and shape are first. Then you have... Um, then you would get gait, like how you're moving, movement styles. Uh, then you've got um, really even then, only then do you start looking at sex, uh, things that, like uh, clothes, things like that, right? Right. Uh, so 
I can get way more specific. We actually talk about this in our book, very, very clearly detailed exactly how humans evaluate other humans. Awesome. But uh, a woman has, evaluates a man on about 10 different dimensions before he says one word, before he's even within touching distance. Right. She's evaluated him on 10 different uh, dimensions and for most guys have excluded them from even being potentially attractive to them already. Like uh, a guy walks in who's bent over, hunched over, like kind of old, done. Automatically not attractive, right? To let's say a 22 year old girl. Um, even, but even someone like you who like physically good, good looking, in good shape, whatever. If you have on like a backwards hat and a ratty frat bro shirt on and whatever, and she's like considers herself like a sophisticated young professional, boom, automatically not attracted to her uh, because you're signaling something very clear with her clothes. She wants something else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And most guys never fucking think about this shit at all. They like, 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 oh, well, what do I say to girls? And I'm like, are you fat or skinny? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, uh, before you say a word, she's already made all these evaluations. Yeah. Uh, and so conversation has to, I, before I tell you what you need to say, I need to know where you're starting. If you're an idiot and you're out of shape and you wear ratty clothes, there's probably nothing I can tell you that's going to help you, dude. Sure. You know? But yeah. if you're like an incredibly good looking guy, who wears great clothes and is really, uh, you know, smells nice and clean and whatever, almost anything you say is going to work. Just don't be stupid, right. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then along with that, you know, I, I feel like there was, I've spent a lot, <laughs> they still have these moments where it's like feeling uncomfortable in your own skin. You know, it's like, I'm not good enough or I, whatever. Like I am trying to be like the best version of myself or like the most genuine version of myself. And this girl's not receiving it. There must be something wrong with me, you know, and something that, you know, what I, what I say to that is like, she's not the right girl, you know, but oftentimes we, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. You right. know, well, how do we know? That's depends. the question. That's an excellent question. So that's, look, um, it, it's really hard to know. So some, you're right. You can have all your shit together and the girl can just not be into you because she likes black guys or she likes tall guys uh, or taller guys than you or she likes uh, bookish intellectual types or whatever, right? right. Like, like there's a, preference plays a large role. Um, and uh, I, I, I that's a good question. Most here's the thing, man. Most guys need to spend so much more time getting fundamental basic things right that we almost never get to the point where like when we're helping guys where like they're they're really attractive, they're just spending their time on the on the wrong women. Right. right? Generally speaking, what you want to do is get all your fundamentals right, uh, then go out. Don't go looking for women is what we tell guys. We tell guys what you need to do is go look for, go out with your friends, have fun, and look to meet new people. And then what's going to happen is you're going to meet women who are attracted to you. Uh, if you have basic foundational stuff right, you're clean, you're in decent shape, uh, you have some things going for you in your life, et cetera, et cetera, you'll find women who are attracted uh, to you and then you can decide, do I like this woman or not? Right. Um, as opposed to going after women and trying to get them to like you, if you're trying to persuade people like you, it just doesn't work. You're way better off going out, having fun because by the way, uh, all women want to have fun. No one has enough fun in their life ever. Like, or no one can have too much fun. So if you're the guy with his friend, uh, that's out with his friends, having fun, meeting new people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to attract women around. And some of those women will like you. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, smile when you walk into a room, you know, don't, don't make it weird and creepy, you know, but what, what, well, what it, you it depends actually it, that, that, that advice uh, is not bad, but it's not also uh, right all the time because totally. smiling in a lot of situations is a, um, it's a deep signal for submission. Hmm. Like for example, if you do uh, uh, empirical, there's actually been empirical studies on this. MMA fighters uh, they they basically track their face facial movements in the pre-fight conferences. The fighters who smiled the most lost, hmm. uh, lost more, far more often. Right, sure. uh, smiling in primates in, in a lot of situations is a sign of submission. Now. A gen- genuine warm smile at a girl who's looking at you, fantastic. If she looks at you, women generally don't hold eye contact with guys by accident, mm. right? And so if she's looking at you and you look back at her and smile genuinely, like smile with your eyes, a real smile, that's fantastic. That's warmth, which are the two dimensions that all people evaluate each other on. So all the things I went through, basically what people are looking for are two big things. Number one is threat. Are they a threat to me or not? Do they like me or not? So they're looking for whether they're a threat or whether you like him. So it's a warm threat dimension. And then the other dimension is effectiveness. Are they good? Are they powerful, effective, or are they not? Right? And so that's what that all charismatic people are two things, warm and powerful. And believe it or not, those are hard to get together. So uh, if you're just smiling all the time at everyone uh, in a lot of social situations, that's going to signal low status. So you got to be careful with that. Um, you know, so and that's and that's why I say you know don't make it creepy. There is a, a good time and a, and a bad time to be smiling. You know, if I was here ah, like the whole time, probably this guy's freaking a weirdo. Like, what's the, well, then you're crazy if you're just crazy. smiling all the time for no reason. <laughs> You know, and so um, then that brings up the question of like, okay, you know, is this guy a submissive bitch? You know, so, you know, it's like well, we, we're smiling all the time, uh, sort of in inappropriate ways to guys, especially to other men. Right. That it it, it kind of depends, man. It, it's it's hard to there's life. Unfortunately, is not just a, a checklist of things that you can do, and then it, that's it, and then everything works, right? It just doesn't right. work like that. Um, it really just kind of depends. Laughing is is usually a sign of high status. Sure. Smiling can often be a sign of low status, right? But it kind of depends. It really depends on your attitude and, and sort of other things. So, like, um, what I usually tell guys is um, the important thing is you don't leer at women. A lot of guys, like, look, will stare. And staring, uh, if a woman looks at you when you're staring at her, then smile at her, Right. right? And, and, and gauge your reaction based off what she does. If she's sm- a warm smile back, she likes you. If it's just her mouth like, like that, it's not, she doesn't like you that much. No big deal, right? right. But if you, you're staring at a woman and then she looks at you and you look away, and deep in the mammalian brain, that codes is predator. Hmm. Seriously. Like yeah. that's what predators do. Uh, they don't want, uh, because it's easy to see eyes and it's hard to see other things. So if you ever watch predators, they never stare directly at prey. They always stare around the prey at the bottom of the foot, whatever. They don't stare right uh, near them when they get close. Right. Uh, people forget we're not, we're not like animals. We are animals. And on fundamental levels to understand sort of how we communicate and relate, you have to understand deep mammalian, uh, reptilian traits. That's a big one. Right. Um, um, so smiling directly at a woman is a very good thing. 
uh, if she's looking at you. Yes. Very good. Yeah. You know, and our, our, our new brain, you know, our, 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 our thinking intellectual brain is bootstrapped onto the movement mammalian brain, you know, mm-hmm. and so we need to recognize. And they don't communicate well. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, but I think there is a potential to, to sync that up. It's just with all the static that we experience in our lives, we're confused. You know, and so one of the things that I like a rule, like I said, I'll talk to I'll talk to anybody. You know, and it's it's like maybe I'm the minority. That's fantastic. You know, but I, I'm down to go for it because I'll hate myself if I don't. You know, but one of the rules that I'll that I'll use for myself is if the girl does a double take. It's oh, she's it's, in. It's, it's on. I'm there. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Let me don't do that shit by accident. Oh yeah. Oh fuck yeah. So, so, so how is like for cues for guys like double take obvious? If you don't do it and you're attracted to her, uh, you don't have a yeah, chance. Yeah, dude. But you know? like, not many of us are attractive guys. We don't get double takes. Like that doesn't happen. All right. Not many guys get double takes. Dude. All right. So, so then, so then, what are the, so, right. what, what are cues, and then what do we do if we don't get cues? Uh, all right. So there's. There's a couple good ones. Um, if a woman looks at you more than once, it doesn't have to be a straight double take. It can be like, look at you. And then if she looks away, if she goes straight to her hair and then comes back and looks at you, she's definitely interested. Um, uh, if she looks at you multiple times, she's interested. Women, look, here's another thing guys. See, this is the thing. Guys don't understand women, right? Women learn very early. Uh, to not look at any guys they're not interested in because guys will take a gaze as a signal of interest and will come over. And if she doesn't want you to come over, she will make a point of not looking at you because they learn pretty quickly that a lot of guys can't take a fucking hint and are awful and uh, pestering and annoying, right? So if she looks at you really more than once or twice, let's say more than twice, she's definitely into you. Right. Or at least she wants to, or she's looking at something about you. You might have a fucking booger. I don't know. (laughs) So like, but there's something about you that she is interested in. That's a big one. Um, if a woman makes any, any sort of attempt at all to start a conversation or to get your attention, even obliquely, then chances are she wants you to start something or, or pick it up as well. You know, yeah. um, those, those things don't happen by accident. Right. Sure. Uh, now look, just because a woman bumps into you, don't be like, all right, obviously you want to talk to me. You have to talk to me now. It's not, it's not like that. But like if a woman bumps into you, you might want to pay attention because it probably wasn't by accident. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, things like that. Uh, if she, if she are talking to her and she touches you hugely into you, big sure. deal. Um, but not necessarily sexually cause some people are just touchers, but it means she's very engaged with you. Right. She's comfortable. Um, right. If she asks about you, if she asks about what you're doing that weekend, these are sort of basic. So it's so funny because any woman listening to this is like, that's obvious. Who doesn't know that? Guess what? Most guys don't fucking know that. It's, it's really bad, but most guys don't. Um, I mean, Christ, I still miss things like this sometimes. Sure. Uh, those are all huge cues. Um, let me think. What are some other good ones? Um, I can kill a second of time with that while you, while you think about it. One of the things that, you know, if she asks about you, that's great. You know, that's great news. You're, you're right. winning. You're if doing you're well. Talk- but that being said, ask about her. You know, it's like, don't oh, put yourself. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, you Once don't, people love to talk started. about themselves. Once conversation has started, the best thing you can do as a guy is ask her questions and get her talking about herself. Bingo. Best, 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 best thing. Right. You know, and we're, we're seeing it that. It should be about 70, 30, her to you. 
Uh, about two to a little bit over two to one. Right, and we're seeing that in evolution of our of our species of our culture of you know the the recording of the word I in text messages and speeches and all that stuff you know representing me is going through the roof because we're so freaking egotistical now. Not in the not in the worst you know I don't mean that in a bad way. I think ego is important, but we we have MySpace and Facebook and all these things where we stare at ourselves, you know, and so we end up being kind of I think a little bit a little bit warped. You know, and people really, as far as like what that's doing, people really enjoy hearing about themselves, whether that's Facebook or MySpace or not. It's and a by the way, matter. getting getting a woman talk, getting anyone talking about themselves is going to make them like you more. It seems most people think they have to prove themselves to the other person. Exactly. But but once once the conversation, if she's shown one or two signals of interest, looking at you, touching you, even talking to you, then you're probably she's probably decided you're at least. There's a baseline level of attractiveness. Doesn't mean she wants to sleep with you, but it means that like, oh, this is a guy I could potentially be interested in maybe, right? And so now she's going to talk to you to see what you're actually like, right? Sure. If you get get her talking about herself a lot, she's going to like you more. Right. Anyone that's interested in you, it, the way our mind works is our mind ex post rationalizes sort of what happened, right? Yes. So for example, this is an old con man trick is if you get someone, a con man will, uh, to get someone to trust them, will actually share something with the other person, right? And then what that does, that inspires that person to share something back. And then they make the unconscious uh, sort of uh, leap that this person must be trustworthy because I'm sharing stuff with them. Conversation works the exact same way. Uh, if you get someone talking about themselves and sharing things with you, then and I'm really all you have to do is ask basic questions. Yeah. Then they make the mental leap in their head. This must be a good person because it's rationalizing all the time they spent talking to you. Right, and then so with that, you know, we if you can make people feel good about themselves, they will then translate that feeling of being around you. Wow, every time I'm around Tucker Max, I feel sexy. He's like, you know, he notices. He says he's. he's he comments on my whatever, you know, what he'd ask about me, you know, and what that does, like you become addicted to Tucker Max because I feel so good when you're around Tucker, you know, and that is, that is the key is if you can induce these, you know, this is drugs, relationships are drugs, you know, yep. it's a similar, it's the same response in your mind. You know, the reason we get addicted to this stuff is because it makes us feel good. You know, this is the only difference is it's usually healthy unless you have some kind of complex or whatever. You know, so I know that you're ta- we're, we're about out of time. Um, it's great talking to you, by the way, man. I, I appreciate it. I, something I ask everybody towards the end of conversation is if you could go back and give yourself some advice, at what age would you go back to and what would you tell yourself? Oh, man. Uh, I was so dumb. I've been so dumb most of my life. I, <laughs> I, you don't have enough time for me to list all the shit that I needed to tell myself in various ages. Right. I don't know, dude. I really... Like, I, I don't know. I, that's that that you. If you had asked that question at the beginning of the hour, I would have spent you the whole hour. <laughs> I really. It, it'd be. I, you know what's we, funny? We could do a part it, two on that answer. That, <laughs> I mean, there's like um, I. Uh, it's funny. I as I get older, I think I get way wiser and it's like every step I get wiser I realize how how much stupider I used to be Mm. and like um it's 
man, there are days I don't even know how I'm still alive. Like, it's sort of like, it's one of those things where it's like the only reason I succeeded is because other people were stupid and lazy and I was just stupid and I did shit. And so that's the only reason I succeeded, I think. Um, I don't know. Let me think. What's one really good thing? Well, aside from like going back in time and being like, oh, buy Apple when it's at $30 or something. uh, Aside like, you know, basic things like that. Um... Man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I probably would have started meditating earlier. Nice. Yeah. Meditation has helped me so much uh, that if I had started this earlier, I think I would have, that would have solved a lot of problems that I've had in my life that I kind of spent a lot of time. I solved the hard way. And if I had just put a half an hour to an hour every day into meditation and into seriously actually doing it right, right. Uh, which is, it seems like how hard can it be to sit there and be quiet? It's really fucking hard if you're doing it right. If you're focusing on your breath and letting your emotions come up and you know recognizing, accepting them, not being judgmental, et cetera, it's really fucking hard. But um, if you do it right, it has incredible impacts on your life and your emotions. And if I had started... Uh, I would have earlier, it would have just made it that talk about a compounding effect. It would have been that much better for me. Awesome, man. And how do people find your stuff? I know you, you got a lot of really radical stuff coming out and already out. How do people find right. out more about so, it? So um, if you care about the sex and dating stuff, I have a podcast called The Mating Grounds, which is on iTunes, and then a website called TheMatingGrounds.com. Uh, all of that stuff is on there. Um, uh, that's probably the best place or, uh, you know, my old stuff is at tuckermax.com and then I write new stuff at tuckermax.me. Awesome. Cool, man. I appreciate it. If, uh, next time in Austin, Texas, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up. Hopefully get to, get to see you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Okay. Cool, man. All right. Good talking to you. Align podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show and they make smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you can find my blog, you can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work how work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast if the information has been helpful please share and leave your comments in itunes aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile together we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world online podcast